there. You uh, pass those out, Bill. <laughs> Anybody who wants one. Sorry about that. We had some sound problems that I had to solve this morning, so uh, set them down and forgot all about them. All out of practice, I guess, right? Well, it's good to be back. It's good to be home. Back among family. We're going to continue our study of Acts this morning. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 14, that's where we're going to be. I want to remind you, though, because it has been like since before Resurrection Sunday that we were in Acts, so I wanted to, want to kind of remind you where we've been, where we are right now. In, in Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas present the gospel, and, and, it, and it's, they're in Antioch, and, and everything goes great. In fact, they ask him, come back next week, preach again next week. And so he does, and they chase him out of town. Because they didn't like the fact that the gospel requires a choice. It's, we, don't, we don't like to think of it in these terms, but the gospel requires a choice. You're choosing Jesus or choosing hell. Now again, I know we don't like that. We, we, want, we want there to be gray area there someplace, but there isn't. The gospel doesn't give us that. The gospel gives us Jesus as the only way to God or... No way to God. That's it. So the people in Antioch didn't like it much. And honestly, our, in our society, we don't like it much. We don't like the idea that there's only one choice. But that's what Scripture gives us. And Scripture's always given us that. It's not like that just started in the New Testament. You go back to Deuteronomy, and God told His people then, choose blessing or curse, life or death. There wasn't anything in the middle. There wasn't a fence to sit on. You chose one or the other, and, that, and that's what the gospel gives us. And, and so folks don't like that very much. It, 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 it angers us that we might have to make a choice like that. And so they chased Paul and Barnabas out of town, and we're going to see that again today. <laughs> they're, they're going to react to the gospel to the message, the word of the Lord, as, as, as it's so often said in Acts, they're going to respond in this way. They're going to chase them out of town. So let's read Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 8. We're going to go through verse 20. It is up here behind me. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet and had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud, loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God 
who made the, the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and from Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. So, isn't it interesting? Don't we see this, this incredible um, difference? They, they first say, you guys are gods in human form, and then well, let's kill you. I mean, we really have a, a difference. And so let's, but there's some things I want to work our way through first. The first one, um, they, they mention Zeus and Hermes. And if you're not familiar with Greek mythology, Zeus and Hermes were part of Greek mythology. Zeus was kind of the chairman of the board of all of the gods. And Hermes is his spokesperson. So what Zeus wants, Hermes says. So that's, that's uh, why they, they say Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes because Hermes or Paul is doing all the talking. Now, cultural context here, in Lystra, there was a legend. It's written in the history books. It's written by, by the theologians and historians that in Lystra there was a legend that Zeus and Hermes came to Lystra. And they came in human form. And when they came, they were not welcomed by the people of Lystra. And so no one welcomed them in until one elderly couple said, you can come home with us. And so Zeus and Hermes were so upset about this that they destroyed Lystra and the, the home where the, the elderly couple came or, or lived that, that came and welcomed them, uh, that became the temple that was just outside of Lystra. So they're looking at, they're, they're literally in the shadow of this temple with this legend of Hermes and Zeus coming to town and doing all these things. And so that's probably why uh, these, these folks are just so quick to say that they're among us and we better welcome them this time. So we're going to do all this stuff. We're going we're gonna to do the... the uh, the sacrifices, and we're going to do all that. We're going to make sure that they understand that they're welcome this time. So when they see Paul and Barnabas speak to the lame man, the man who was lame from birth, and he stands up and walks around, and everybody knew he did not walk from birth, then automatically they think Zeus and Hermes have come, so because of this legend, we must welcome Zeus and Hermes. So so that's why we, we have this, such a reaction. You're the gods in human form, and we're going to sacrifice to you. That's why we have this, is because of this legend. But I want to talk a little bit more about some of the more uh, salient points of this. First of all, it tells us in verse 9 that this man had faith to be healed. It says that, they, that he had faith to be healed. Now that's... That's an interesting statement. Paul speaks the gospel to this man who is lame. 
And what happens? The man literally had faith in his eyes because Paul, it says, Paul looked at him in his face and saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, that brings to mind, in, in, in my mind, the way my mind works, I immediately think, what does his face look like? Can, can people really tell that you have faith by looking at your face? Because apparently you can. Does your faith show on your face? Because it, it, apparently it can, and perhaps it should. So this man has faith to be healed, and that means, that he, that means a couple of things about his faith. The first one is that it was a personal faith. He personally placed his faith in Christ. He, he understood, and, and this is a step that, that many people don't take in our world today. They, they think Jesus died for sin. No, no, no. He didn't die for sin as a concept. He didn't die for sin as, as a, a, a general category. He died for your sin. And he died for my sin. And it was, trust me, it was very personal to Jesus on the cross. So we need to take it personal. We, our faith needs to be personal. This man, in order to have faith to be healed, he had to have applied the faith in Christ to his life. It was a personal faith. The second thing was that it was an expectant faith. I ask in, in, on Sunday mornings if you expect to hear from God today. This man heard the, the gospel and immediately expected Jesus to work in his life. He expected it. We need to have an expectant faith. We need to have a faith that expects God to work, that expects God to speak to us, that expects God to, to do, to, to comfort us, to heal us, to, to, to bring us peace, to get involved in our lives because he's personally involved. We need an expectant faith. This man had an expectant faith and it was rewarded. He not only applied the gospel to his life, and it, but he expected Jesus to do something. And Jesus did. He healed him. So then we have the, the reaction of the people. The people react. They have heard the gospel. They have heard what this lame man heard. And what do they do? They say it's Zeus and Hermes. Right? They, they have just heard the truth, but they want to still believe the lie that they have been believing. We, we sometimes have that problem. Have you ever heard or, or have you ever said something about, well, I just don't have good luck, or fate made this happen, or the circumstances came together? That's, that's giving the credit to something other than God. If circumstances came together for you, it's because God directed them. If, if, if you have good luck, it's because God directed it. God's at work in our lives, and we need to give him the glory for that. We don't want to give the glory to fate or luck or circumstance. We need to give the glory to God because God's at work. God's at work in each and every one of our lives, and he is doing things. The, this is the part of having an expectant faith. 
If you have an expectant faith, then you see God at work in your life. You see things happen and realize and give glory to God because he has done these things. So, so this is Paul's message. He, he says, uh, you, you believe a lie. And it, and, it, and it even says that they tore their clothes. Barnabas and Paul tore their clothes. This is a very Jewish thing to do. It, it's, they're saying you're committing blasphemy and I want no part of it. They're not giving the glory to God. They're giving the glory to the lie they have always believed. They're giving the, the, the glory to Zeus and Hermes or fate or circumstances or luck, not God. And so Paul and, and Barnabas tear their clothes saying, you're, you, that's blasphemy and I'll have no part of it. So Paul's message is, God let the nations go their own way, but he never left them without provision. And he, and he tells them, that, look, at, look at nature itself. God has given you the rain and the rainy season. He has given you food. He's given you joy. He's given you all these things. Paul goes into this much more in Romans chapter 1 and says that those who don't believe there is a God are without excuse because his, his, you can see God in everything around you. You know, Kevin and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about how many different how many different just pine trees are there? How many different types of pine trees are there? That shows there's a God. That means one tree didn't start at all. That means all these pine trees started. How many different types of trees in general? Hundreds, perhaps thousands of different kinds of trees. God has given us a witness that he's here. He's given us a witness that he's working we got to give the glory to God. we got to give the glory to God for what he's done. What, uh, what theologians call this is general revelation or common grace. If you've ever read those two, it's just, this is revelation that everybody knows. You look in nature, you see all these different types of trees, and you say, okay, there must be a God because how else could this be? That's general revelation or what some call common grace specific revelation is the word of God itself. Specific revelation is Jesus. So if you read those terms, if you're a a reader of theological books, that's what they're talking about. That's what Paul is doing. He's using general revelation to lead them to faith in Christ. He's telling them that general revelation shows there's a God, and that God came here in human form and died for your sin, and rose again to give you life. And so he moves from general revelation to specific revelation in, this, in, in, his, in, in talking to these people. Now, this is a very Gentile crowd. If you, if you read before and after this, you see there is no synagogue in town. Paul and Barnabas, they always go to the synagogue first. We've talked about that, how it's, a, how it's a place to gain strength among other believers before going on the mission trip. Well, Lystra has no Jewish synagogue. In fact, the only Jewish family we know of there is actually in Acts 16. Timothy's mother is Jewish. Timothy that, that he writes First and Second Timothy to. His mother is Jewish, 
and lives in Lystra. His father is Greek, but his mother is Jewish, so very few Jews there. So they have a very Gentile reaction to this. By that I mean they, they have lived this lie of Greek mythology for their entire lives, and so when they see something happen, they, they credit the lie. We know better. We give the glory to God because we know God's at work. We give the glory to God. Not to circumstances, not to luck, not to fate, God. You know, I, I actually feel sorrow for those who, who give credit to fate or circumstances or luck because that means that their, their lives are literally being run by some impersonal force that they have no idea how. We know better. We give the glory to God because we know God's at work. We know that when things come together, it's because God made it that way. We know God's at work, so we give the glory to God. And then we have these Jews from Iconium come, Antioch and Iconium. Now, these are pretty dedicated persecutors because there's, over, there's a, a little over 100 miles between these towns. And these guys aren't, aren't okay with just kicking Paul and Barnabas out of their town. They're going to follow them 100 miles to try and get them kicked out of Lystra also. These are dedicated persecutors here. They, they, have, they have truly chosen a side. Now, as I said earlier, the gospel calls us to, to pick a side. You are for Christ or you are against Christ. You, are, you, you, you believe in Jesus or you do not know God. That, that is, that's the choice made. And they, they've dedicated themselves to the choice they've made. Now, but in both of these cases, in Antioch and here in Lystra, these people started out praising Barnabas and, and, and Paul, didn't they? In, in, in Antioch, they said, come back and preach again next week. Here, they say, you're, the, you're gods in human form. They start out with praising Barnabas and Paul for, what, and for this message. But then they turn against him. They turn against the messenger because they don't like the message. These are a fickle people. We, as human beings, are fickle people. <laughs> Preach to us again or get out of town. You're, you are gods. We're going to kill you. This is quite a, a change. And they go through all of this change because of the message of the gospel. The gospel separates the gospel separates those who believe from those who do not. It happens, and we see it again and again and again here. We see it all through the book of Acts. So they, they stone Paul, and they drag him out of town thinking he's dead. We've killed him. He's dead. But they haven't killed Paul, and they, have, and they haven't killed the message. So think about Paul's response. You know, if, if you follow Paul a little further in Galatians and Colossians, even in 1 Timothy, when he's writing to Timothy, he brags about this. Not, he doesn't brag about being stoned. He brags about what God did bringing him through being stoned. 
He brags about how God led him through this. He brags about what God has done. He doesn't brag about the suffering. He brags about what God did in the suffering. That's, that's what Paul does. He gives the glory to God for what happened in the suffering. I'm afraid this is not a popular message in our culture. The fact that you might suffer for your faith is not a popular message in our culture. There are plenty out there, in fact, a lot of them on TV, that will tell you that, that, it's, that once you come to Christ, everything will be better. Everything will be peachy. It's, it's easy going from there on. There's a problem with that theology in that it is not biblically based. Because what we see in the Bible is what we see in this story. We see suffering, but we see God doing amazing things through it. We give the glory to God, not for suffering, but because He's there with us in suffering. That's the biblical evidence. That's the biblical precedent. It isn't that we're not going to face problems. It's that we are never going to face another problem alone. Ever. We are going to face it with Jesus. We're going to face it with the one who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That's who's on our side. That's who's for us. So we are going to face problems, but we're going to face it, face whatever that problem is, with Jesus. That's something to give glory to God for. So what's your response? First to the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus died in your place on that cross? Do you believe that, that he died in order to save you? He didn't die for sin as a concept. He didn't die for, for sin as a general category of things. He died for your sin. Do you trust that he died for your sin and that he came, came to life again to give you life? Do you have a personal faith? In Christ. Secondly, like this man, do you have an expectant faith? Do you expect God to work in your life? Do you look for the opportunities for God to work in your life? Are you open to the possibility that God's at work right now? Right now, in whatever it is that you're going through, God's at work. Will you give him the glory for leading you through this? Even in, in the midst of suffering, will you give God the glory for bringing you through? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for a moment. I know there's, there's many that are suffering. I know there are, there are many who, who it just seems overwhelming. But you are not alone. Jesus is with you. The God who created everything we know is with you. You will feel his arms around you in this church, among his people. Will you give him the glory?
Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us through everything. That that Jesus has suffered so he knows exactly how we feel. And he can lead us through by his power, by his grace, by his love, by his truth. Let us be careful to give God the glory for what he's doing in our life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.